Do you know what time it is? It's that time again with Cindy Gern, who has the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. We are here today to uh, hear the the pearls of wisdom uh, or waters of wisdom from Lilia Abrams, who has a, a, a pure consulting which specializes in water treatment and water what or what, what. Well, we're environmental engineers, Cindy, so we work across the board, and anything that has any thing to do with maintenance and enhancement of the environment with special focus on water and wastewater, which includes storm water and environmental engineering sciences and sustainability. That's a mouthful. Isn't That's it? a mouthful. So uh, I'm particularly interested in the water side of the house, okay. but uh, we can talk about the other things too. Right. But when you came in, you said something that that really struck me as poetic and true. What was that? Uh, it God's it's God's water. Water is God's, is God's <clears throat> liquid gold. So water is God's liquid gold. Um, so translate that into something that I'm trying to remember. A long time ago, I heard this at a church meeting, actually. Uh, how, how much water an average person uses a day? Okay, well, more importantly than that, let's just step back a little further. We don't have life if we don't have water. We don't have earth if we don't have water. This is one of the things when they're exploring all of the other planets, they're looking to see if water is there. Yeah. If water is not there, it doesn't mean that life isn't there, but then again, it goes back to our definition of what life is. But if you go according to what our definition of life is, if you don't have water... You don't have our definition. So with the definition, did you, did you see the movie The Martian? About no. the man that was left behind okay. on Mars, and he's yeah. pla- he planted, he, he survived because he knew how to To, to utilize, extract water. Well, he planted, uh, you know, planted, uh, I, I don't know whether he got these plants from, from his own reserve, but he planted, planted plants, and they grew, and... And there wasn't any water, so I don't know how they did it. Well, that's TV, but uh, you have to have water for life. Okay. Okay, we don't have water, we don't have life. Okay, well then answer this question then. Again, how much water does the average person use a day? Well, it depends. We now, we used to, we were using a lot more water than we use now. And still, Americans use a lot more water per day, per capita per day. So per capita, that means per person mm-hmm. per day. We still use a lot more than any other country in the world. But the rule of thumb now from the U.S. EPA is 100 gallons per capita per day. 100 gallons? Yeah, 
100 gallons per capita per day. So when you think about, and that's not talking about the water that's used for food and everything. This is what we use for drinking, bathing, washing our cars, and this. So this is just what comes across on our bill every month. But we were using a lot more than that, but we have reduced our water usage tremendously, which I'm saying is great, 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 great that we could even reduce it more. But right now it's about 100 gallons per capita per day. So what caused us to reduce our usage of water? Well, first of all, quit washing cars, quit wa- watering <laughs> your lawns well, and this kind of stuff. Wash their cars and they still water Well, their but not the way we used to. And watering lawns across the country has been severely restricted, especially in areas like California and Florida and even Arizona and all, where everybody had to have a lush green lawn and all of this. It's just passe now. Mm -hmm. And in places like here in Washington, D.C., I would say at least 60 to 70 percent of us say, You know what? And we have a lot of rain here. If the rain doesn't take care of it, it's just not going to happen. And we don't see anything wrong with having a green lawn or a brown lawn. lawn. (laughs) Can we, you know? I was curious, can we ship some our excess water elsewhere? Well, we can't ship it, but Mother Nature is shipping it. Oh, how? How is that? <laughs> Climate change, oh. <laughs> where, it, where it rains is not raining anymore, and so Mother Nature is shipping it. We can't necessarily ship it, but through the hydrological cycle, we used to kind of move water around the world, but Mother Nature is now, because of climate change, capturing it and saying it's going to rain more here, rain more there in places where it has never rained before, places where it has never snowed before. Look at Seattle. I mean, we never had snow yes, like we did. that in I, Seattle. Not, yeah, no. I, I've gone skiing in Seattle. But when was that? Uh, 1903. Yeah, so, but <laughs> no. I'm saying even in D.C., people say, I've said the beauty of Washington, D.C. is we have some terrible winters, but it's not constant. It's not every winter. So we get pelted every now and then with some snow in D.C. I'm not talking about the surroundings. That's a good point that you made. I heard this uh, point being made the other day that there is a difference between uh, situational weather, like it's raining, and climate change. So how how do you distinguish, how do you talk about what's the weather today, which is unusual? We're beginning to see weather patterns that are sustained. That are different than the patterns that we've had before. Situational here, here, like said, D.C., you know, we'll get a major snowstorm and we won't get it again for another eight, ten years, this kind of stuff. This year we didn't have it at all. We didn't and have it last year either, did it we? didn't last year either. So we're beginning to see some sustained weather patterns, which they are... Of course, it's being, of course, climate change. Our climate is changing. And just let me 
sort of give you, uh, as you are aware, you didn't talk about it, but as you are aware, for about the past 20, 25 years, I've worked in South Africa and again in the area of water and all. And oh, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, when we were just working over there and we were working in several towns and several provinces and these people were concerned about having enough water for themselves and for their cattle. Mm. They wanted to make sure that they could water their crops and their cattle had water. And I remember at one of the meetings, and this was maybe 15 years ago, the people from the geological or the hydrological society in South Africa said, and I knew this was coming, but they said, let me be very clear to you. And these are poor people just coming out of apartheid. In the next 10 years, and this was maybe 10, 15 years ago, not only will there not be enough water for humans, let's don't even discuss your cattle. There will not be. And that's when it kind of hit me. And this is maybe 15 years ago that says, oh, my Lord, this thing is more serious than I thought it was. He said, we're going to have to relocate this whole town, this whole community. You're going to have to go. Water buffaloes and all of this, you know, when there are droughts and all, they bring in these big tanks so people can have water. We're not going to be able. He said, we're going to have to relocate the entire town. There won't be any water because of drought patterns and things that we're seeing right now. So droughts are real. And if you read or saw two nights ago, three nights ago on this town that the federal government is getting ready to spend around $48, $50 million to relocate a town in Louisiana that sits on water. They're relocating them because they're disappearing. Sea level rise. The town is going to be inundated. It's gone. And they're already, they spent the money. They're getting ready to relocate the entire town. So in that case, in that situation you just described, rather than a drought, the they're getting more water. More water, sea level rise. Right. Of, of the right. Water from right. And you have all of these conservatives. Oh, there's no, no, no. But now you have a conservative community that's faced with the fact that we can remove you. We have to because you are going to disappear. And there's one family down there that's saying, they're moving us, but I don't want to move. And so they said, fine, drown. You know, what I mean, that's. Do they, do they drown? No, they're going to move. They just don't want to because they see their whole oh, way oh, of yeah. life for many generations. But sea level rise in Florida, this is one of the reasons why Florida, for the most part, the state doesn't think like their government. Because all of these mayors and governments on coastal towns are seeing... Their coastlines erode. Like they're, seeing water, it they're seeing that in Taiwan. Going away. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, Rick Scott, the new <clears> senator, <throat> didn't believe in climate change. Don't use that word. And everybody else in Florida is saying, 
but my coastline is gone. But this is, I see what's happening. So it's uneven distribution of no water to a lot of water, no snow to a lot of snow. I just um, heard um, an interview today, Jar Jamil, who is one of the very prolific writers on climate change. He was on Amy Goodman's show today. The Himalayas are getting ready to... The ice is gone. It's gone for a while, the mountains. It's gone. And he was just talking about what's happening in Alaska, Denali, the Himalayas, everything. It is. Has this happened before? Uh, before we, we talk, we're going to talk more about you, but has this happened before? Have we had these great patterns, just uh, distributed patterns change? I don't, I don't think like this. I mean, you know, you think about when the dinosaurs disappeared, but that they think was a big dust storm or yeah, something I mean, like that. I grew that. up in Pennsylvania and, and outside of Philadelphia and Philadelphia, and I remember there there were ebbs and flows of, of yeah, weather. But, but not catastrophic. <clears throat> no, I think what catastrophic, we're, you know. Yeah, I think what we're looking at now is you talking about ebbs and flows, yeah. ebbs and flows. I think they're seeing enough data now to say this is not an ebb and flow. This is a consistent shifting of weather patterns, warmer. I mean, just the trends towards being warmer and warmer. We're collecting enough data now to say we're seeing consistent trends that the earth, as we know it, is getting warmer. Now, somebody could say, well, what does that mean? Well, I mean, hey, we don't know. We know human nature adapts. Mm -hmm. So yes. maybe, but even today, the insects in Puerto Rico are what are they? Bigger? They're not there. The ones that used to be there. So the fauna and flora that maintain mm -hmm. the earth as we know it has changed now. So, so that's a major, uh, major question a major challenge with people who are believers in climate change and those who think it's just part of nature and, we, and nature adapts so how can how far can we adapt well climate change as long as you're saying nature adapts and i mean we don't know we'd have to be here 100 years later 200 years later nature may very well adapt i mean we adapted out after the dinosaurs right i mean we wiped them out and we got human dinosaurs, but that's another conversation. You know, I, I can see, I can see the cycle. Uh, there are going to be cycles of adaptation, and, and I can see one of the cycles paralleling the growth and the use of artificial intelligence and machine life. Yeah. And, yeah. and so, so next thing we know, in a hundred years or so, people aren't going to have to do anything. Yeah. They're going to look the same. Could, it, Our faces are going to be all different, yeah. et cetera. It could be totally right. different. So, I'm just saying, the world, the Earth. Earth as we know it is going to be different. I want to give a shout out to Fairfax City Gov uh, right now because they have been loyal fans of ours for over a year. It's a small city and it's in the 
middle of a large urban area of George Mason and Fairfax County. And uh, there's just a small city that has a lot of personality, and it's a great place to grow a business and, and grow a family in the houses. So look them up. They're, you're going to like that. So it's fairfaxcity.gov. Yeah, uh, and I want to mention one thing, too, that you said as well. Uh, digital uh, digital, data, uh, digital science and digital, uh, digital analytics is playing such a role in, in scoping out all the issues that are affecting your world as, as I know it. What, how are data science, for example, can you give us some examples of how data science is used in your profession? Well, we're using it to be able to have better skills and capabilities to predict. Mm -hmm. And I was just reading an article today in um, the um, Watt Environment Federation on how data science is being used to be able to be better predictors of what's going to happen and when. Mm -hmm. And as a scientist and engineer, Good, bad, or indifferent, we would like to be able to base our actions on real data, mm -hmm. real science. Mm -hmm. And data science is getting us to the point that we, we've always had it, but we can get it faster and it's more right. accurate. Mm -hmm. Good, bad, indifferent, we're able to say we're going to die tomorrow, we have 10 more years, you know. <laughs> So, well, but it's you, absolutely you majored in engineering. You, you have yeah, I'm an engineer. I'm a scientist and engineer. So yes. you're engineering and a scientist and an engineer. Yeah, so how, of course the they're both they're the same. Uh, science, you just quickly we're more pure, more research and all. But engineers also, but engineers applied science. It's applied science. Yeah, okay. we take the information and we use it quicker than scientists. Scientists mm -hmm. are prepared for the long haul. Mm -hmm. We are prepared for the shorter haul. We need to take the data and keep humankind you going. You solve problems immediately with the data. That, with, that yeah, and immediate is still a long definition, whereas the scientists just hang in there for forever <laughs> for to get the yeah. right information, and we can't you can't do one without the other. And engineering up until maybe a couple of years ago was called the School of Art, Sciences, and Engineering. Engineering was originally a part of the School of Arts and Sciences because we That's can't unusual, do it? Yeah, but we can't do our work without the science. So we are scientists. We just we are applied scientists. So how so how do you give me an example of how you use science and engineering to solve problems? Okay, let's just take treating water. Okay. Okay. Scientists know that there's certain impurities in water that need to come out, mm -hmm. and. They know the consequences of those, and they say we need to remove A, B, and C. Mm -hmm. Engineers have the skills and capabilities to, to put, the, put the unit operations and unit processes together to say if we do X, Y, and Z, we can remove A, B, and C. And as environmental engineers, we appreciate 
that we can't, as scientists, we can't do our work without engineers. And engineers appreciate that they can't do their work without the scientists. And in fact, in one of our major certifying organizations for professional certification, we are called the American Academy of Environmental Engineers and Scientists. It used to just be the American Academy of Environmental Engineers. But all of us took the science. We couldn't get to the engineering until we had the science. Mm -hmm. And we said, hey, it's a collaboration, and we appreciate, and they appreciate. So we recognize the science and the engineering. They take it to one level on one side, and we take it to another level on the other side. But we both have the science, and many of the scientists have the engineering. They prefer to stay on the science side because they want to do the research. But isn't there a science separate from environmental sciences? Oh, there are many. I'm just talking about what I do. Okay, so environmental Environmental engineering and environmental science. So can you tell us a little bit bit about environmental engineering and science? What What is that? We take care of the environment. You take care, okay. Well, I don't have to worry about climate. <laughs> you know, I tell people. Let that. me let me just answer it another way, uh, Cindy, if I could. Someone asked me not too long ago because I'm an environmental engineer. They said, "Well, what, what do you do? You know, you're Dr. Abram. What is that?" And I said, "Well, let me explain it this way." I said, "If you get sick, I can't help you." Unless you get sick by eating. Generally. You know, okay. but, I mean, and, and in some yeah. cases. Yep. In some cases I can because if it's an environmental toxin, they're going to call yeah. me in and they're right. going to call. But I said, but, however, if you let me do my job, you won't get sick. Because most of the illnesses are environmentally promoted okay. in some cases waterborne airborne if i can do my job yeah. it won't happen. so so because we're, we're running quickly out of time and i i you know whenever i talk to you time seems to fly so we can yeah it was i mean 30 minutes is gone already I know. <laughs> what can i say okay so uh before before we shift uh can you tell us a little bit about your background i mean you have a phd in in, in engineering and, and science but environmental engineering well chemical engineering is a phd uh, specialty is environmental environmental engineering what is your undergraduate degree in undergrad is chemistry ah okay i thought you were one of those (laughs) (laughs) and the master's degree is sanitary engineering because when i was in school there was not a master's degree or a phd in environmental that's that's after earth day when we cleaned up our act no right, and and from what you can see, I uh, I gather there's going to be a huge need for environmental engineers going forward forever, forever. Yes, and and or and chemistry. Uh, yes, because science, uh, science, and, and so how can we get more kids interested in science? 
I mean, it's, it's, the need is there, so, and, and they're save, solving problems that we all. Yeah, well, we have a lot of them in IT now, so there's a balance. But that's that's science. That's engineering. No, it's not science. It's but pure it'll science. come back because still, at the end of the day, all of these issues we're having with, and I don't want to step on anybody's toes, your audience. Uh, all of these it, problems we're having with people not wanting to vaccinate their kids. Oh, yeah. And not wanting to pay attention to the science involved with what I said, airborne disease, waterborne, all of these diseases, chicken pox, mom, they're viruses. But our viruses uh, obligate parasites. You sneeze. And it's in the air. And that happened with my dog. She, he was yeah. he was coughing like mad for the last yeah. few days. Yeah. And, and you see, with the bacteria, we can, through medicine so far, they know how to deal with bacterial diseases. Viruses are still a major issue. So here's where the environmental engineer, the biologist, all of us interact together because my job is to try to maintain this environment where we don't have these waterborne and airborne transmission of diseases. But if you don't vaccinate your kids, then the biologists and I'll understand this better than I do. But then you break that herd effect. And then here we all get sick again. I mean, I'm 73 years old. I got vaccinated. You're not that old. Thank you. You're good. But I got vaccinated. <laughs> For the first time? When I No, when I was <laughs> born, they okay. were vaccinated. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I had measles and mumps, but I was just getting to the point where they were beginning to. So, I didn't get yellow fever. I didn't get smallpox. I didn't get all of those. But by the time mumps, measles, all of this were coming, they were given the MMR, they were getting the herd effect and all. And so now our children, we thought we but had eradicated. The environment, the environment is changing, if the climate is changing, maybe we won't have these. Oh, we're going to have, yes, we, I mean, they're finding out now. I mean, we have one school of infectious medicine in the U.S., and I think that's uh, down in... Uh, NIH? Uh, no, that's in uh, Texas somewhere. It's only one, one school of medicine, because they only see these diseases in developing countries. Now, all of a sudden, we got kids with measles in Seattle. Yeah. I mean, what is going on here? But we have, I don't know, but it's... We can't, we can't tolerate this. But you asked, so I'm just saying. I know STEM is important. That's what I'm saying. I think, okay. I think it's. I think we didn't even touch. We only touched water a little bit. So thank you very much for being with us, Celia Abram. She's the president of Peer Consulting, and an environmental sciences company, and she does marvelous things all over the world and, and for for infrastructure for water uh for humankind. And, and and humankind you can't believe it she she cares about you and about humankind so thank you again for being here thank you thank you for tuning in to the workforce show this interview and others can be found at wera.fm or at careercentralonline.com Thank you for listening. Until the next time.